the Gospel of John this morning, um, chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. If you're using the Bible from the seat back in front of you, that's on page 1050, 1050. John 1, 29 to 34. Last Sunday, Greg Howe, when he was here, began a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. As a Catalyst team, we felt that, that this was important because as we've prayed and as we, we've talked about where God is taking CBC, we realized that we're not going to go anywhere significant without the leading and the presence, thank you, and the power of God. Amen? Amen. Further, we realized that if we're going to have the energy and the enthusiasm and the hope and the joy to embrace the new things that we believe God wants to do in and through CBC, that's only going to happen as God rekindles the fullness of His Spirit among us. And so we're going to spend several weeks focusing and thinking about the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say that this topic causes several feelings inside of me, and I'm going to mention them because maybe you feel them too. The first uh, feeling I feel is longing. I've tasted enough of the Holy Spirit's presence in my own life, and I've seen enough of the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of others that I long for more. I, I hunger for more of the Spirit's work in and around me. The second feeling I feel is apprehension, because I'm very aware that some of us have baggage when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some of us have been burned before by those who focus too much or in the wrong ways on the Spirit. Maybe we were made to feel uncomfortable by these ministries. And so I'm very aware that the words and the images that I'm going to use to talk about the Spirit over the next few weeks may trigger different responses in different people. And I'm apprehensive that when you hear me use these words and images, you may assume that I mean what others have meant when they used the same words and images, when in fact I may mean something quite different. But the third feeling I feel is expectancy. I feel expectant that God wants to give us more of himself. That God wants to bring or wants to be among us in a deeper and a richer way. That God wants to bless us with more of his presence, more of his power, more of his joy and life and love that he alone can give us through his spirit. All right, so let's begin. You may have seen the iPhone commercial uh, with that profound punchline, if you don't have an iPhone, then you don't have an iPhone. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Let me say something about today's scripture passage using that formula, if you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have Jesus. Let me explain. There used to be a time back in the Old Testament when God dwelt among his people. When God came down in a thick cloud of smoke, God lived in the temple among the people. Moses spoke to God face to face. The prophets received messages from God. The people saw God's glory. 
Then later in the New Testament times, recorded in the Gospels, God's son Jesus dwelt among his people. Jesus walked the hills and the roads of Galilee. Jesus taught. Jesus healed. Jesus loved. But then Jesus died and rose again and left this world and ascended to heaven. And so now we don't have God with us like the people in the Old Testament did, and we don't have Jesus with us like the people in the New Testament gospel times did, but we do have the Holy Spirit with us. And through the Spirit, wonder of wonders, we have both God and Jesus. If you don't have an iPhone, you don't have an iPhone. But if you have the Holy Spirit, You have God, and you have Jesus. And so, if we're going to be the people of God at all, then we have got to have the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's look at today's passage and see what it teaches us about this. This passage is about John the Baptist, the Jewish prophet who had a powerful ministry in the land of Palestine about 2,000 years ago. God had sent John and, and empowered John to call God's people back to God and, and to prepare them for the coming king and, and savior that God was about to send into the world. And in today's passage, John the Baptist points us toward Jesus as that King and Savior saying, He's the one. Jesus is the one. In today's passage, John points to Jesus and John testifies to who Jesus is and to why Jesus came. And how does John know all this? How does John know who Jesus is? How does John know why Jesus came? How does John know that Jesus is the one? Well, he's very clear that he didn't figure it out by himself. We know from Luke's gospel that that John was actually Jesus' cousin. These two guys had grown up with one another, presumably, and yet John hadn't recognized that Jesus was anyone that special. John says two times in our passage in verses 31 and 33, I did not recognize him. I did not recognize him. But, John says, God revealed to me that Jesus was the one. Evidently, God had told John, verse 23, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one. And then John testifies in verse 32, I did, in fact, see the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, on Jesus. I saw it with my own eyes. Jesus is the one. But the one what? What what about Jesus was so special? What, What made Jesus so great? Well, let me ask you, what is so special about Jesus? Why do you worship Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Or why at least are you interested in investigating Jesus? Well, John the Baptist gives us two reasons that Jesus is so great. First in verse 29, John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is great because Jesus takes away sin. Now, we're mostly all familiar with this, right? This is 
an image uh, from the Old Testament, from the Jewish Passover, for example, when God's destroying angel was about to uh, put to death all the firstborn of Egypt, and, and God has his people slay a lamb, and he has them take the blood of that lamb and put it over and around their door frames. And, and that blood was a sign that a lamb had died in their place. And so the destroying angel passed over their houses, leaving them unharmed. And now Jesus has come to be our lamb, to be the world's lamb, to be slain in our place so that his blood can cover over us, so that our sin can be paid for and forgiven, so that God won't ever judge or destroy us, so that we can live. That's the good news, right? That's the gospel. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But that's not the whole gospel. Which leads to the second reason that John gives that Jesus is so great. And that's found in verse 33. I baptize with water, John says, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Not only does Jesus, like a lamb, take away the sin of the world, Jesus also baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Is that why you follow and worship Jesus? Is that why you love Him? Is that why you're investigating Him? Not just because He can forgive your sins, but also because He can baptize you with the Holy Spirit? John Stott, the great Anglican pastor and writer who died recently, puts it this way. He says, we, we must never conceive of salvation in purely negative terms as if it consisted only in our rescue from sin and guilt and wrath and death. We thank God that it's all of these things. But it also includes the positive blessing of the Holy Spirit to regenerate, to indwell, to liberate, to transform us. What a truncated gospel we preach if we proclaim the one without the other. And what a glorious gospel we have to share when we're true to Scripture and we keep them together. A core part of the good news, the great news of the gospel that John the Baptist proclaimed and that later the apostles preached and that the New Testament teaches is that Jesus baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. Is that why you love and follow and worship Jesus? Or have you been squeaking along with only half of the gospel? You know, one of the great gifts and contributions of the charismatic and Pentecostal movements to the church has been their recovery of the work in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and whatever concerns some of us may have about aspects of those movements, we should be grateful that God has used them to help us recover the whole gospel. Not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in there. It's in the Bible. It's in the New Testament all over the place. In fact, do you realize that, that if you read the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and you see the, what they say about John the Baptist's message, they don't even tell us that John said anything about Jesus taking away sins. All they tell us is that John proclaimed that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Must be pretty important. 
Jesus' ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, th- well this raises some, some questions, three practical questions. First, so what? Why is it such a great thing that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit? And second, what's it like to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? And third, when in our lives does Jesus do it? Are those good questions to consider? Okay, first, so what? What's the big deal about the Holy Spirit? Well, I already gave you an answer to that question, and and that's that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus, and you don't have God. But let me elaborate on that some more. Throughout the Old Testament times, especially after the time of King David, when the nation of Israel was deteriorating and then they went into exile, there was a yearning, there was an anticipation, there was an expectation among the people of God for the time when God would pour out His Holy Spirit. And the Old Testament prophets taught that this would happen in, in the last days at the end of the age. Let's look at just a few scriptures here. First, uh, Joel 2, 28 and 29, which the Apostle Peter quotes um, when he, uh, at Pentecost uh, in the second chapter of Acts, verses 17 and 18, when Peter is explaining what was happening when Jesus did, in fact, pour his Holy Spirit out, baptize the early church in the Holy Spirit. And um, Peter, quoting Joel, says, In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You notice that in the last days. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Notice here that the coming of the Spirit brings visions and dreams and prophecies. The Spirit opens eyes and ears to God, to to know God, to hear God's voice, to see God's ways. Next, Isaiah 44, 3 to 5, God says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in the meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hands, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. Notice here the Spirit brings life, uh, refreshment in a time of dryness. And the Spirit brings a heart which loves God and longs to be devoted to God. Finally, Ezekiel 36, 25 and 27. There's a lot of other verses we could look at. We'll just look at these three right now. God says there in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees. And to be careful to keep my laws. Notice here the spirit gives us a new heart. The the spirit gives us a heart which delights to follow and to please God. Now what we have to understand about all these prophecies is that they were prophecies of the end times, of of the last days, of of the age to come, of the end of history. When 
God would bring home the exiles and would set up his everlasting kingdom, when, when the dead would be raised, when peace would reign on earth and the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters covered the sea. That's how the Old Testament people, um, or, or rather that's um, what the Old Testament prophet said that God was going to accomplish on the last day. And, and the Spirit was a hallmark of that day, of that age. The Spirit was a hallmark of, of that end coming and, and a new age beginning. So w when John the Baptist says that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Spirit, your heart should stop short. Do you know what this means? It means the end is here. That this present world is passing away. That, that the new age, the, the age to come is beginning. Now we of course know that it didn't pan out exactly like people expected. I've, I've shown these images before I think. This is how the Old Testament people of God expected history to pan out. That, that you're going along through history in the present age and then boom, the, the end comes and the, um, the age to come begins. But here in this next slide is how it actually panned out when Jesus came. There was an overlap of the ages in which we now live. We call it the already but the not yet of God's kingdom. The new age, the, the age to come, the, the new creation, the kingdom of God, call it what you want, it's already begun in Jesus Christ. It's not yet fully arrived, but it's begun. Because from the Bible's point of view, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the sure sign, the telltale mark, the indisputable evidence that we are now living in the new age. The person who's helped me best to appreciate how significant this is, is a former professor of mine, New Testament scholar Gordon Fee. And he's written extensively about the Spirit. And in one of his books, he tells about one time when he was having coffee with some students uh, at the, uh, the coffee shop at Regent College where he taught. And one of his students asked, Professor Fee, if you were to return to pastoral ministry, if you were to become the pastor of a local church, what would you do? How would you go about ministry? And Fee writes, my answer was immediate. No matter how long it might take, I would set about with a single passion to help a local body of believers recapture the New Testament church's understanding of itself as an eschatological community. Now that's seminary talk, eschatological community. What does he mean? Well, what he means is that we as the people of God need to wake up to the fact that we are now living in the age of the future. We are living in the age of the future now. That Jesus, by coming to earth, by dying for sins on the cross, by rising again, and then by baptizing his followers with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has brought the future, the new age, the new creation, back into history. That Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, and when Jesus does that, the future comes back pouring back into the present, into our lives. And so we as followers of Jesus, baptized by the Holy Spirit, get to experience and get to, to, um, to live out now a taste of what heaven will be. We get to embody it. 
We get to live it. We get to show it to a watching world. So that everyone can look at us and they can see that that's how it's going to be when God makes all things new. Of course, we don't do this perfectly, do we? (laughs) And we couldn't do it at all except for the Spirit. But that's the good news. Jesus came to baptize us with the Spirit. That's why He came. To forgive sins. To take away the sins of the world. Praise God that He came to do that. And He also came to baptize us with the Spirit of God so that we can begin to live as a community of those who have followed Jesus, who um, are following Him and whom He is baptizing with His Spirit so that we can begin to live the life of that glorious future of God now in our community, in our lives. Well, that leads to the second question. What's it like to be baptized by the Spirit? Well, let's start with the verb baptized. To be baptized in water primarily means to be dunked, to be submerged, to be surrounded, to be engulfed, to be plunged into water. The other verb we saw in several of those Old Testament prophecies we looked at was poured out. God was going to pour out His Spirit on His people. This is an image of being drenched with. (laughs) That's the giants there. I hope they have a good year. (laughs) Of being drenched with, of being soaked with, of being inundated by. So in the words of of Daryl Johnson, whose sermons on the Spirit I borrowed from a good bit this morning, when Jesus baptizes us with and in the Holy Spirit, He dunks us with and drenches us in the Holy Spirit. That's the good news. That's part of the gospel. Just as John baptized people with water in the Jordan River, just as those people were dunked in and drenched with water, so Jesus baptizes people and they are dunked in and drenched with the Spirit, the very presence, the very life of God. We're talking about more than just a little trickle or a little sprinkle here. Being baptized with the Spirit ought to manifest itself in some way in our lives, don't you think? Uh, Pastor and theologian Thomas Smale puts it well in his book, Reflected Glory. He says, it may be sudden, critical, and sensationally transforming. Or it may be slow and quiet and spread over a period. The Spirit is symbolized as dew as well as by wind. But even when the dew falls silently, it makes leaves wet and fresh and sweet. Those who've written about great outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the past have observed that sometimes the coming of the Spirit causes people to to jump and to shout and to sing and to praise, to dance. And other times it causes them to grow very quiet and still silently awed. The common denominator, though, is is a renewed and a deepened life-giving awareness of the presence of God And, and of our own sin and our need for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Spirit points us to Jesus. Sometimes the Spirit brings renewed strength and empowerment or, or conviction and boldness and passion. Other times the Spirit brings um, 
freshness, like, like a cool breeze in a, in a stuffy, stifling room. Or the Spirit brings refreshing rest and peace. Other times, the Spirit brings intimacy and, and love or, or comfort and healing for our hearts or our bodies. Other times, the, the Spirit brings joy and praise. And other times, the Spirit brings the slow but the unmistakable transformation of heart and character. In fact, fast or slow, the Spirit always brings transformation of heart and character. The theologians use the word effusion to talk about what we're talking about here. Uh, theologian J. Rodman Williams explains it this way. He says, effusion is that activity of the Spirit wherein the Spirit moves in freedom pervading and filling human reality. This is the coming of God to occupy and possess, to pervade and to permeate, to fill and fulfill. It's the filling of human existence with the glory of God. Isn't that great? Well, that brings us to the third and final question. When? When in a person's life does Jesus do this? When does Jesus baptize us with the Holy Spirit? And Christians have three major views on this. The first view, called the sacramental view, holds that, that Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit when we're baptized by the church in water. This view recognizes the close link that Scripture makes between baptism with water and baptism with the Spirit. And, and it holds that that the act of water baptism mediates the coming of the Holy Spirit into a person's life. The second view, the Pentecostal view, holds that Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit not when we come to Christ, not when we're baptized, but at a later date. This view is sometimes called the second blessing because as this view sees it, coming to Christ, having our sins forgiven by the Lamb of God is the first blessing. And then being baptized by the Holy Spirit is a second blessing. And this view notes that in the gospel and in the book of Acts, Jesus' disciples followed Jesus first. They witnessed his death and his resurrection. They put their faith in him. And then later at Pentecost, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And those who hold this view teach that this pattern is meant to be true for all believers. And so they urge believers who've received the first blessing, the forgiveness of sins, to seek the second blessing as well the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The third view, which is the mainstream evangelical view, holds that we're baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit in the moment that we invite Jesus to forgive our sins and to be our Savior and to come into our lives. Those who hold this view um, recognize that no one would even come to Jesus apart from the work of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit who opens our blind eyes and who quickens dead hearts and who brings new life to birth and who makes us new creations in Christ. And so this view concludes that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you've been baptized with the Spirit whether you know it or not. Well, which view is right? Well, I would like to suggest that in a sense, all of them are right and all of them are wrong. All of them are right, I suggest, because Jesus can and does baptize those who are baptized with water, with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus can and does baptize with the Holy Spirit those who come to Christ. And Jesus can and does 
baptized with the Holy Spirit, again, those who are seeking a second blessing. But I'd suggest that all of them are wrong because all of them assume that only, Jesus only baptizes once. Yet I don't see anywhere in Scripture that says Jesus will only baptize you with the Spirit once. I know I've been baptized by the Spirit before, but, but I leak. <laughs> Ask my wife, I leak. <laughs> I need to be dunked. I need to be drenched. I need to be filled up. I need to be immersed in the Spirit again and again. And plenty of people have experienced that Jesus has done just that for them. After all, that's why Jesus came. To take away the sins of the world, yes. And also to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Jesus Christ came to take away the sin of the world. Amen? Amen. And Jesus Christ came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. So, amen. In conclusion, when was the last time you responded to the gospel in faith? When was the last time you asked Jesus, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, to baptize you afresh? Now I realize that asking Jesus to do that can be scary for some folks. For some it's scary because we've been in circles in the past when we saw people claiming to be under the influence of the Spirit and they were doing crazy or strange things. They were involved in ministries which were destructive. For others it's scary because the Spirit feels spooky or unknown. I mean, we can understand the Father and the Son, but the Spirit, I, we don't know about that. And, and so we're afraid of, that we might lose control or somehow be embarrassed if we give the Spirit control of our lives. And here we've got to go back to that iPhone commercial one more time. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have God. You don't have Jesus. If you want more of Jesus, if you want more of God, then what you really want is more of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you put it that way, give me the Spirit, because I want more of Jesus, and I want more of God. And when I get scared and I think um, that if Jesus gives me more of the Spirit, I might feel out of control or I might do something strange, then I remember that Jesus is good. And God is good. And so I can trust them. And if we as a church are going to move into all of the good that God wants for us, we'll never do it without more of Jesus, more of God, more of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is a message we have to respond to, don't you think? So let's respond with a song. We're going to sing, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. And if you'd like to respond to the gospel this morning, then as we sing this song, I invite you to respond in faith to the good news of Jesus Christ by just standing up and praying that song, that prayer from the heart, and inviting Jesus to baptize you. Let's sing.